Let's return to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 14 will be uh, the focus of our text, although we'll refer uh, back to the opening verses that, of that chapter that we looked at uh, last Lord's Day. But let's hear this uh, portion of God's word for us this day. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Well, this is a uh, worship service to be remembered, right, that we have recorded here. The, the synagogue, of course, is the uh, local house of worship for the Jews. We don't know exactly where this synagogue was. There would have been one in in uh, virtually every uh, town in Israel uh, where they would gather when they didn't go to the temple for sacrifice, they'd gather in the synagogue for worship and for teaching from God's word. And so that's the setting. And, and in that setting, that worship setting, we have this confrontation happen. And, and confrontation it is, right? I mean, th this is... This is a, a dividing line, okay? We, we cross a line here in the gospel, don't we? The Pharisees, in response to what happens in the slow worship service, conspire against Jesus how to destroy him, how to utterly annihilate him, how to bring about his death. Now, why on earth are they making such a big deal out of this? What is it about the Sabbath observance that they, that they would have such a response? We, we, need to, we need to try to understand that, I think, before we look at Jesus' response to it. Because our tendency might be just to sort of dismiss them as some lunatics, some fanatics or something. But, you know, there, there, is, there is some biblical precedent for taking the Sabbath very seriously. Uh, in, under the Old Covenant, uh, the Sabbath was, was the sign, the Lord told them, that marked them out as his people. For instance, in Exodus chapter 31, the Lord says, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested 
and was refreshed. It's a sign of the covenant that God has made with his people. And so they take it seriously. Over in Leviticus chapter 26, it's reiterated, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. And in that context, in Leviticus 26, God outlines the blessings that will come from obedience and the curses that will come from disobedience. And in the section where he's talking about what will happen if they walk contrary to his ways, if they violate his laws, he says, in spite of this, you will not, if in spite of this you will not listen to me but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. And listen to part of the consequence. I myself will devastate the land, that is the land of promise that they're living in. I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. Your land will be a desolation. Then, he says, the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. The exile happened, we could say, in large part because they failed to observe the Sabbath. No wonder the Jews take it seriously. And the Maccabean revolt against the, their oppressors and the period of time before Jesus came to earth, some Jews let themselves be slaughtered on the Sabbath rather than fight back because they thought it would violate the Sabbath if they fought. They took it seriously. And it seems as though they had reason to, to take it seriously. But what we noticed last Lord's Day is that, is that in their zeal, they, they, had, they had really made less of the Sabbath than they ought to because they have, they have made it into, into something that is is observed by the keeping of list of rules. I think I mentioned the 39 categories of rules for what you could not do on the Sabbath. Where, where did they go wrong? Where did they misinterpret the teaching on the Sabbath? Let's just review briefly that establishing of the Sabbath uh, back in the Genesis account of creation. We read of his God's blessing, various aspects of his creation. He blesses some of the creatures, creatures of the sea and the sky. He, he blesses uh, the, the first uh, human beings in a special way. And, and, and he blesses the Sabbath day as well in that account of creation, which extends into the first couple of verses of, of chapter 2 of Genesis. Interestingly, we're told that he, he sanctifies not a place, but a time. So he didn't say, here's holy ground. He said, here's a holy time. And, and that, of course, testifies to us that God is sovereign over time. He created time, and so he's sovereign over time. 
And so he has the right to say, okay, this time is special. This time is sanctified. This time of the Sabbath. So he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In Exodus chapter 20, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It, we, we see that idea of separation or differentiation all the way through the creation account. He, we're told that he separates light and darkness, for instance, that he separated earthly time into periods of light or day and periods of dark. And so, so there's, there's not only creation ex nihilo, that is creation of matter, but there, there's creation of order in that matter. And, and now in this, in this final part of creation, he brings order into time. Okay, and sanctifies a special time that's going to mark off human existence. And so they have, human beings are given six days for work and one day for rest. That's the root of the word Sabbath, is rest. Why do we work? Well, we work because we're made in God's image, right? God gave human beings work when he created them in his image. The, the ideal state in paradise is not passivity or idleness. Okay, that's, that's a common belief among pagans. Okay? But that's not part of what God purposed for human beings. He created human beings to do the work of being fruitful, of multiplying, of subduing the earth, uh, of, in a sense, uh, exercising dominion over the earth in a way which would make it even more productive and glorious to God. And all that was said to be very good in God's assessment. So we can include there human work. Human work is very good if we take seriously what, what God says. Now, just to, to think about that just for a second, that, that means your work is to be done to the glory of God, right, whatever it is. To be done for the glory of God. As long as it's a lawful work, as long as it's not contrary to that which is right, then the work of your hands and minds is to be glorifying to God. And He is pleased when He sees His people engaged in productive work. Work that blesses other people, work that provides for themselves and others, other people. The first people to be filled with the Spirit, in fact, were craftsmen. They were, they were men who worked in metal and uh, precious gems and, and fabric on the tabernacle. So in terms of God's blessing, all work is done by his people to his glory. There's no hierarchy of work. Okay, that, that's one of the great truths that came out of the Protestant Reformation is that, that all work can be offered to God in, in service. That there's not a hierarchy with clergy up here and their work somehow matters more than, than people who are working for their living down here. The 
Protestant reformers said that's not the case. Luther said the, the, the maid doing dishes is just as much glorifying God through her work as the, as the clergyman leading in prayer. But, but, notice that God did not endorse all work either. He sanctified a time for rest. And part of what that should tell us is that you are not created to find your ultimate fulfillment in your work, in your job. What you do, if you're employed, what you do does not define you. That, that's not, that doesn't describe who you are as a person. You're not limited by that. Uh, men especially sometimes fall into that, into that uh, trap and their work becomes their identity. It's no coincidence that the, that the mortality rate for men goes up sharply after they stop working because many of them are deriving at least part of their identity from that work and when they lose that, they sort of lose their sense of identity. So your work doesn't define you. And that's one of the truths that we see communicated by this principle of Sabbath rest. There is a time to set aside work. Now, when does God set aside his work? Well, he sets it aside when it's complete, right? When it's done, notice that the first Sabbath commences after God finished his creative work. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, sanctified it, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so, we created in the image of God, there's a time for work and there's a time for rest. Now, not that you could ever say that your work is totally done, way that God can say of his creative work, but there's a time when you, when you come to an end for the work and you set aside a time for a rest, and that's the, the Sabbath account. And what happens there? What happens there? This is the climax of creation, right? It doesn't climax on the sixth day. It doesn't climax with work. It climaxes with the Sabbath. And it really seems as though that's telling us that your ultimate purpose, the ultimate reason that you're made, is to enter into that rest, to enjoy the presence of God, to enjoy being before His face, to use the expression, on that day of rest. And, and so, in a sense, I think what we're seeing with the Sabbath is a foreshadowing of that eternal rest that waits for God's people, that the author Hebrews talks about. So, all of this we need to keep in mind and sort of have an understanding of, uh, for our understanding of the fourth commandment, the, the Sabbath. It's, it's really, in a sense, a a statement of our faith 
when we set aside a day for rest. We're saying, I don't believe that I have to work 24-7 because God's going to provide for me. Okay, I, I, I don't have to be anxious and, and feel like I, I'm just on this endless treadmill and I can never have enough money in the bank, never be secure enough. No, the Sabbath says, okay, God set aside this time. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him as my ultimate provider. But there's another reason for celebrating the Sabbath that Deuteronomy gives us. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have a repetition of the Ten Commandments, but this time the Fourth Commandment is a little bit different. Instead of being told that we set aside the, day of, uh, the seventh day for a day of rest because of God's creative work, we read this. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So here's another reason for observing the Sabbath that God is giving to his people. You're to remember that I saved you. I delivered you from slavery. You were, you were, you were under the taskmaster's whip seven days a week. Now the, now the Sabbath reminds you you've been freed from that. Uh, when you observe the Sabbath, you're to, you're to look back and say, I was a slave in Egypt. And, re and remember again, this is given to people who didn't actually live as slaves, okay? They're the children. Forty years have passed, and so anyone up 20 and above that was brought out from Egypt is dead. So most of the people hearing Deuteronomy weren't born in slavery. They were born in the wilderness. But nonetheless, when they come to the Sabbath, they're, they're to say, we were slaves. They're to identify with their historical past. We were slaves, and God delivered us. And of course, what that's ultimately pointing to is not a mere deliverance from some earthly condition, but that spiritual deliverance from sin that the Lord effects on behalf of his people. And so in a sense for you today, when you enter into the day of rest, you could say, this is reminding me, reminding me that God has rescued me from slavery to sin. I'm no longer bound by sin. I have a new Lord, a new God who is pleased to give me rest. And so again, that becomes a, a testimony, a sign of God's covenant. Of trusting him. So obviously, obviously to, to break the fourth commandment is to break covenant with the Lord. And so it's a serious matter. Well, let's, let's fast forward to our text today, though. Because remember, last Lord's Day, we saw at the end of that passage that Jesus declared himself to be Lord of the Sabbath. He, he, is, he is doing nothing less than saying, I am the God who made the Sabbath. That's what he's saying. So I have authority over the Sabbath. That's why I can say what I say about the Sabbath and I can do what I do on the Sabbath because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he, he told his people. Now, now think about that just for a moment. Okay, what does that mean? At least part of what that means for Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath is that he 
as not only fully God, but fully human, fulfills that commandment. He, he comes as the one human being, the only human being, who truly fulfilled that commandment, who truly obeyed it. Why, why can we say that? Well, we can say that because, because in fulfillment of that commandment, Jesus did all the work that his father gave him. Remember, part of the commandment is the six days of work. The other part is the day of rest. And, and Jesus did all the work that his father commanded. In fact, he says in John chapter 4, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his, worth, his work. Doing the father's work means more to me than eating. That's what he's saying. He claims to his enemies in John chapter 5, My father is working until now and I am working. He's identifying himself. I'm doing the Father's work. I'm doing what he does, in a sense, is what he's saying. And his miraculous signs are part of that work, right? In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a, heals a man born blind, and he's asked, you know, whose sin caused this guy to be born blind? Was it his sin or his, his parents? And, and Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, that work of healing that he did. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. And it's no coincidence that that's a Sabbath day setting where Jesus says that. So his works are a perfect expression of the Father's will because he and the Father are one. He can say in John chapter 10, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. And he does those works in the power of the spirit. So there's a perfect unity in the Trinity in this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 28, he says, by the spirit of God, I cast out demons. So in a, in a very real sense then here, we see Jesus as the perfect man who perfectly fulfills that fourth commandment. He completes his work. And in fact, at the end of his earthly ministry, we see him referring to that. John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father. Just a very short period of time before he's, he's going to be arrested and and uh, eventually crucified. And listen to what he says in that prayer to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I've done all the work. That's what he's saying to the Father. Everything he wanted me to do, I've done. He, he describes that work in terms of his ministry to his disciples, if you want to go back and, and read that at a later date. And so he's completed the work, and now it's time to enter the rest. It's, it's really telling, I think, that we see in, in John chapter 19, verse 28, we read these words, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he knows everything has been done that's necessary 
said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Death had no hold on him, remember. He, he had no sin. And so the curse of sin, namely death, had no hold on him. He voluntarily lay, lays down his life at this moment, knowing that he has done all the work. It is finished. And having completed his work then, he ascends to his throne. Mark 16, 19. Then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to his disciples, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He is sat down in rest. Hebrews summarizes the work of Jesus as the work of providing for the purification of sinners and then entering into his rest. Hebrews 1 says this, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And later on in Hebrews, the writer purposely contrasts Jesus' work as priest, which is total and complete, with that insufficiency of earthly priest of the Old Covenant. So he says, every priest that is of the Old Covenant stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so, Jesus completes his work, and his righteous work then is imputed to his people, even as their sins were imputed to him in his atonement. So what does this tell us? Why am, why am I making such a big deal out of the fact that Jesus has fulfilled this commandment? was because you are in a new covenant now, a covenant of grace, in which his work is credited to your account, and in which you are freed from that law of sin and death. So you're not to be bound by some list of rules like the Pharisees thought. You're instead freed to obey God's law in the strength that he gives through his spirit. See, that's what's happen happening in conversion. Listen to this imagery from, from the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is affected through Jesus Christ's work 
a change of heart for you if you've placed your faith in him. He has given you his spirit. He's giving you his example and his teaching as that means whereby you can enjoy this command to rest. And so what do you do on that day of rest? Well, you've seen the example of your Lord in chapter 12 here. Love recognizes that there are some works that are necessary on the Sabbath, and so it extends mercy to others. Remember, remember Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you understood God's mercy, you wouldn't have been condemning my disciples for taking some grain so that they could eat on the Sabbath. And we could say that love sees the relief of human suffering as a Sabbath work. So, so the love of God in you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit sees a need like Jesus sees the need in this man who has the, the shriveled hand and, and extends mercy to meet that need. The Pharisees would have said, well, that's not life-threatening. You should just wait till the next day to be healed. And, and Jesus said, well, the, the Sabbath is a day for day doing good. And, and so it's a day for, for extending mercy to others. It, it, this also reminds us to, to enjoy the blessings that this, this commandment gives to us. Now, there are so many ways in which our lives are blessed when we, when we have the cycle of work and rest in place. And again, we, our goal is not to get the blessings. You know, it's not, it's not like we're obeying God so he will do good stuff for us. Remember, the Sabbath is ultimately pointing us to enjoying him. So the day of rest becomes a day of worship and of fellowship with his people, of, of extending mercy to others, of doing good for, to others uh, without any thought of remuneration. And if doing those necessary works is, is maybe needed as well, there are things that have to be done for other people's well-being, for their survival. So those things are, are ordained by God as well. But ultimately, remember the, that the guiding, the guiding principle for us, the guideline for us, is the same for our work as for our rest. It's are we doing it to the glory of God? Can I say what I'm doing when I'm working and resting is to the glory of God? Uh, let, that, let that principle guide your thoughts and your enjoyment of this day. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us this wonderful commandment and that you have fulfilled it on behalf of us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We do pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit you would enable us to enjoy the pleasure of doing your will, to, to follow our Lord's example and enjoying the rest that you give to us from our work, and to enjoy our work as well. Uh, we pray, Lord, that, that both our work and our rest would glorify you. And pray for your wisdom and, and your guidance as we seek to live this out from week to week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.